Hello, it's me, Anna. Now, before we begin, in this episode, we do discuss intrusive thoughts and anxiety. So if anyone is struggling to cope or wants support, please do reach out to your GP. And there's further support also in the show notes. Every week, we sit down as a team and have a chat about what we really want to talk about on our show, what's on our minds. And when I say our minds... I mean, just that, really. Everybody's minds. The things that we all talk about when we're at home. And it seems to me that there's a lot of anger out there right now. Because, let's be honest, life is bloody difficult. Our country feels broken and divided. We're seeing personal loss, global loss, climate disaster and raging wars in the Middle East and the Ukraine. So, if you're feeling angry... If you're feeling resentful, if you're just feeling anxious and you're wondering if that's normal, then you've come to the right place. Because in today's episode, we'll be tackling all of those feelings with psychotherapist, best-selling author and fellow podcaster, Anna Martha. Welcome to It Can't Just Be Me. Hi, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. Definitely got menopause brain. I really want children, and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle, I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? Anna, welcome back to It Can't Just Be Me. Thank you so much for coming into the studio in person. We always appreciate it. And tell me, how are you feeling right now? Oh, how am I feeling right now? I am feeling relieved. Post-Christmas, I love a bit of routine. Overwhelmed Mm. just by the enormity of life. Mm. I've stepped back in social media after taking a break. So I'm really kind of starting to re-engage with all of the noise around not just the news, but everyone's opinions on the news, everyone's opinions on everything. It's just a lot coming at me to filter through. Yeah. Um, rested. We slowed down, which is just quite okay, rare. Well, I am interested in this. So you're mm. saying that you feel rested because you stepped back? Yes. Uh, and that was a, a purposeful thing, was it? Yeah, and we were bored. <laughs> and I just think boredom is a dying feeling. But like, we just need so much more of. We don't leave much space it's really bored. it's really interesting that, that that you mentioned that actually because I was listening to a whole discussion about this on the radio the other day about boredom mm. and the fact that kids particularly um, don't know how to be bored because they've always got a screen yeah. and we're not very good at being bored either yeah you know, my kids aren't but also I'm not how often do I grab my phone or busy myself when actually I started to see boredom as an absolute privilege because we had a grief in the summer I was absolutely not bored I was hurting I was sad and it really made me realize how much of a privilege boredom is it's it's kind of devoid of drama and mm. trauma you're mm. just there mm. and that is a real gift so I'm starting to really love welcome and embrace those kind of mundane bored pauses in life because there will be something that will bring some drama or chaos at some point but in the meantime boredom yeah I love that so let's just recap on the three adjectives you feel relieved rested but a key one I think as well overwhelmed Mm. 
Let's talk a bit more about that because I'm speaking to a lot of people right now in my personal life, in my professional life, who feel so angry and frustrated and I think probably overwhelmed at the moment. So it feels like a sort of collective upset and rage. Do you think we're more on edge at the moment? I think we are physically more on edge. We're more full of adrenaline and cortisol. We're living life at 100 miles an hour. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm literally tearing around my house like I'm being chased. Mm. You know, we are scrolling. And, and when we're when we're engaging in social media and the digital world, we literally do not know what we're going to get next. It's like, it's like a, a crazy game we're playing with our nervous systems. We could scroll past a cute little cat, whatever floats your boat, and that's a nice feeling. And then the next second, we're seeing a traumatic story or some imagery. And then we have to process that. So we literally do not know what we're getting next. And our bodies are, you know, we're kind of living. We're very used to living stressed. Yes. Some people I'm working with, with clients who are sometimes so traumatised by what they are reading in the news that they cannot then enjoy their day-to-day life. Mm. When we're so kind of stressed and traumatised by the secondary trauma of what we're consuming, we can't. what can we actually do? How can we actually be active mm. when we're in that really heightened state? We can't because we're in survival mode. I think this is really interesting that perhaps we're, in inverted commas, traumatised as a society or as a culture. I think maybe post-COVID as well. And then on top of that, we're just being flooded with really traumatising images. The idea that we are collectively traumatized is quite an interesting one yeah and it's like are we learning to think that this is what care is and that this is normal that this is how you care about what's going on in the world is you read everything and you let it fill you with fear Mm. so that you can't actually enjoy in and engage in the good things in your life and you can do both and I think you can protect yourself and care without having to totally immerse yourself in it if we're totally absorbed in it and overwhelmed by it you might care, but you can't do anything about it. Yeah. You can't be moved to action. Yeah. That righteous rage that's stirred up in you is just going to keep you stuck. You can't actually do anything about it. That is fascinating that you just get stuck in an emotion that you can't yeah. do anything about. This is a biggie question. Is anger a healthy emotion? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Anger is a very active emotion. So this is in its right form. Something triggers it normally. It stirs up a response and it's there to move you into action. And in an ideal world, we'd feel angry about the things that we should feel angry about. And we'd do something about it off the back of it. And then the anger would abate. So if we think of so many of the world's most powerful charities that are doing the biggest stuff in the world, that that was probably all fueled by rage, Mm. a sense of injustice. That shouldn't be going on. Those people should not be going hungry. Those women should be able to get out of those relationships. And thus began an idea of actually how can we help this. And there are so many times as a therapist that I feel overjoyed when when a client feels angry. Really? Yeah. I'm really, really interested in this. And I know you are as well. I'm interested in the subject of anger. I'm interested in the subject of of rage because it seems to me that there's so much shame attached to it. And certainly when you're a child, you're told as a girl as well that that you shouldn't be feeling it. You shouldn't be feeling angry and you shouldn't be expressing it. What 
would you say about that? Do you think there is shame attached to anger? Yeah, so often, isn't there? We judge ourselves that if we're angry, we're bad. You know, anger is bad. Sadness is bad. Kindness is good. When actually... We need to allow ourselves to experience the whole scope of human emotion. We're just responding to the world around us. And the more able we are to accept these emotions, the more likely we will process them and respond to them in a way that is productive, healthy and helpful. It's when we put all of these rules and regulations and we suppress them and we guilt and shame ourselves, that's when they tend to come out sideways, like the pressure cooker spurting out in really messy destructive way. So that's the anger and the rage that we've tended to build up a narrative around. It It tars it all with the same brush that it's bad when actually it can be life-changing. Let's talk more about that. What are the different ways that people express their anger? And is there a right way? Because this is a topic of much debate in my house. So first of all, let's just focus on the different ways that people can express or not their anger. Right. So we think of that, you know, that physical manifestation of anger where it's you want to act on it. It's like you can feel it building inside you. It's like this red mist and you're looking at, you know, in my kitchen, I'll be looking for something to throw. And my kids will still remember the day that I threw a plate. Did you? Yeah, and it was, it was all just too much. And I just chucked this plate. It was one of these kids' plastic plates that is apparently shatterproof, shattered, flipping everywhere. And they still remember it because... It was all this emotion that I had suppressed. It just came out sideways. And, and do you remember what it was that you were so upset about? No, and I think this is often the challenge, is that we so often tend to try and override emotion as if it's somehow, it's an inconvenience. Yeah. I don't want to feel sad right now. I don't want to feel overwhelmed because then I'll have to address what's overwhelming me and change stuff. I don't want to feel sad because then... I'll have to engage in some of the the feelings of loss Mm. that I don't want to feel. We don't like the uncomfortable stuff, so we push it away and it builds up and it it comes out. Exactly. And I'm just going to come back to the different ways that Mm. we express it because you heard me there go, God, did you? You threw a plate. Mm. So already I'm judging, going, wow, you threw, because I've never thrown, I don't express my anger that I express my anger outwards with words. But let's look at the other ways that people express anger, which, which I'm interested in, because I know lots of people who don't express their anger or they express it in a passive aggressive way, Mm. which I think, I think that's more toxic than actually breaking the plastic plate, as it were. Mm. So, so talk to me about that. Talk to me about the other ways that people do it. Yeah, it's those little remarks. It's the sarcasm that is actually, yeah, it's failing real emotion that we're just trying to get out in a more, it feels like it's appropriate because I'm just being sarcastic. So if anyone takes offence, I can say, just chill out. Just yeah, it's your problem. Yeah. We're trying to protect ourselves from maybe hurting people and taking responsibility for our anger whilst also trying to get it out there. So again, we're not, it's not productive. It's anger, but it's not in a healthy way. And, and it's it's a cover up for other emotions. And this is what anger tends to be, one outward expression of other emotions. Which are? Often sadness, mm. feeling helpless hopeless mm. fear fear scared yeah yeah grieving wanting to place blame because actually it's easier to be angry at that driver that cut me up than it is to allow myself to feel 
sad at the loss that I've been through because it feels much more active and I can do something about it and I can, you know, I can get it out there somehow. I can project it onto him rather than deal with the fact that, you know, I just feel so sad. Yeah. Is there a right way to express anger? So I think identifying the, the narrative behind the anger. So, for example, in a relationship at home, I wrote about this recently. One woman was absolutely livid with her husband because every day he'd leave the coffee cup on top of the washing machine, on top of the dishwasher, wouldn't flip and put it in, oh, right? Angry, I mean, yeah. every day, angry, building up, just livid at him when he'd come through the door, feeling totally and utterly like you you just expect me to flip and put that, right. you don't care about what I'm doing. And we, we dug in a little bit more around this anger, right? That was a response to what was going on. That anger is there. It's a little flag that pops up and says something here doesn't feel right to you. It's kind of encroaching on your sense of self somehow. So we dug a little bit more about the meaning of that mug on the side. And it was that she works from home. She likes a tidy environment when she's working. She has to work in the kitchen. Her partner leaving the mug there is almost saying, I don't care that you like a tidy environment. I'm going to make sure that you have to work for it. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. How you like to work doesn't matter to me. And once we started recognising that actually that mug wasn't just a mug, it felt like a story. It felt like a statement of her not mattering. And then when she sat down with him and said, look, regarding the mug... <laughs> This is what matters to me. Yes. And this is what it's saying to me when you're saying you don't care. You're saying you don't care about what matters to me. And it takes a couple of seconds. So we never did it again, you know, and it was all about understanding the story behind that that one emotion that often we just shame ourselves or it just comes out in a really messy way that leaves some collateral damage. But when we actually give ourselves a moment to think about what is this rage telling me? Where am I feeling vulnerable right now? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling overwhelmed, stressed? What is it? We've received an email from a listener who's living with a partner who has a temper. And she's struggling to live with it. It's anonymous. So in this instance, our producer is reading it out. So let's hear it. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who's trying to cope with a partner who has poor anger management. My husband's anger management is very poor. His temper and mood are affecting me so much and I'm starting to get tired of this situation. I've been trying to understand his outburst by talking to him about what's causing his stress and anger and why he acts like he does, but he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't really take it seriously and doesn't seem to understand that it actually affects our relationship. I believe he needs to talk to someone about this. If he doesn't want to talk to me, maybe he needs to speak to a professional. I don't know how to approach this with him and how I can cope with this. I feel like I'm stuck in this situation. If you have any advice, I'd really appreciate it. It's really um, fascinating to me this because I know so many people who are either in this situation or have been in this situation with one partner who expresses anger and the other one that just can't deal with it. Mm. So give me what your initial thoughts are about this particular 
dilemma. And it sounds horrible because yeah. nobody likes to live yeah. with somebody that, that's angry and expresses it however they express it. It's not nice. Yeah. So what are your initial thoughts? I think my initial thoughts are, number one, that that person will also acknowledge the wonderful aspects of their partner. You know, they will know the fun bits and the the tender parts of him and the the kind parts and all of those shared memories and histories and how their lives are probably quite intertwined. So there's a lot there. You know, it's easy to say, ideally, she would think about the bigger, again, just like with the mug on the on the sideboard above the dishwasher. You know, think about the bigger story. What does it say to her that her partner doesn't want to address this anger? It might feel like he doesn't care about the impact that it's having on her, the cost of that dynamic on her life. So that, you know, that often feeds into it as well. It's not just he doesn't want to address it for himself and me. It's also actually I feel really uncared for in the fact that he isn't open to addressing this anger Mm. because I'm telling him that it's having an impact on me and my life and it doesn't seem to matter enough. It takes place, this exact setup takes place in so many different contexts. It might be that someone's partner's drinking too much and they're really concerned and it's affecting their lives together, but they won't address it. Or, you know, it's one of these things where you're watching someone live in a way that is harming both them and the health of your relationship. And it can be excruciating when you can see that, but it doesn't seem to be something that they're willing to address it. And if one is to draw the line and say, I will, I'm not dealing with this anymore, I will not have you speak to me in this way anymore, then you can remove yourself from that dynamic. However, will that relationship still exist? And often that that is the fear is to say, if I draw a line and say that I am not okay with this, I am not okay with the fact that you are not willing to realise how not okay this is. Mm. So I'm stepping back. What does that mean for the relationship? Mm. I'm Lauren. And I'm Ashley. And this, guys, is Nip Tuck Pod. We are your girl chat. We say the things you want to hear, the things that you're thinking but you don't want to say out loud. And we're all about being strong, aspirational women who basically don't give a... Uh, Lauren, anyway, if you want unfiltered chat, amazing beauty and product recommendations, then look no further, guys. This is the podcast where you will get all of the girly chat. So, Anna, I'm conscious of the fact that clearly some people get caught up in abusive relationships, and we can talk about that in a second. But within a relationship where one person expresses their anger very vociferously, the other person can't cope with it, or they, they don't do their anger that way, how much of this might be a dynamic between two people because I'm conscious here that we're just hearing one side of the story. Yeah, and there's always another layer in these circumstances. I'm I'm literally just in my head as you're talking is this image of of beasts in the in the wild, in the desert, you know, just kind of like one of them's locking horns trying to trying to like fight the other. The other's just trying to cower and and run for it. And we look at that and we think, we just see all that activity and we think that the the one kind of charging is the the bad one. The other one's just trying to kind of look after themselves and stay alive. And actually, there is a whole other layer of story there. There's a whole other, you know, a story of kind of drives and vulnerabilities and survival. That big one is always also just trying to survive. And, and I think if we can encourage this couple to engage in that sub-story, 
you know, their vulnerabilities, the fear. You know, when I'm feeling angry and you just kind of turn away from me, I feel like you don't care about what I'm feeling. Mm. I'm feeling like it doesn't matter to you. That you're not listening to when me. When you just yeah. feel so calm and collected in response to me trying to have a conversation, it makes my anger pick up because I'm feeling like I'm having to shout to get a sense of empathy and, and see emotion in you. We just do not know. They're wanting something. They're needing something. They're feeling something. What is that? And if we can get to that, which often requires vulnerability and self-insight, which can be hard, and sometimes we don't like what we touch upon, when we peel away the anger, it's uncomfortable, it's messy. So with this listener, you're saying, look, actually, it's sitting down with him. And I, I know that she's tried because she's saying he doesn't seem to want to talk to me about it. But in the first instance, it's what sitting down and saying, look, can we talk about how we're relating mm. here? Because when you refuse to talk to me, it hurts and I'm not being heard. And when you get angry and rageful about whatever's going on, it frightens me. Is, is that is that the beginning of yeah, this? Yeah, that's really helpful because actually what you're doing there is talking about the issue of talking about the issue. If you can sit down and say, you know what, every time we go to talk about this, it just blows up. So I want to know how can we have this conversation? What is it about this conversation that is just igniting further drama in our relationship and it just spirals? So it's taking a layer out. And talking about, talking about it. And then if one person is refusing to engage, which it sounds as though this uh, husband potentially mm. is, that he's saying, I just don't want to go there for whatever reason, then what are her choices? What are their choices in this? Yeah, so number one, I think it's really good to be able to explain why you want to engage in that. So that requires you to understand how that dynamic makes you feel and almost appealing to that caring part of them that hopefully cares how you feel enough to want to address it. You know, if you if you can go and say, you know what, this dynamic in our relationship, I'm just really down. Mm. I'm feeling really alone. Mm. I feel like I miss you. Mm. I feel like I miss what we had. I feel like we've moved away and it's messy and I really want to get back to feeling like we're connecting again. And if and if he's refusing to go mm. there, presumably the choice then becomes either go and talk to somebody else yeah. about this, please, because you're not respecting our marriage yeah. and my feelings, or I'm exiting. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. Is that right? Yeah, so it might be, you know, there's always couples therapy because sometimes just having someone else there giving voice and just delving that little bit deeper to get to that more kind of that connecting vulnerability where you're meeting as two people who are actually both hurting mm. in this, who actually maybe both miss what was good mm. and both aren't happy. Because to be rageful and angry, that's not telling us that he's happy, happy. either. Yeah. Do we demonise people that shout or express themselves like that? Yeah, I think it can be scary. Mm. Anger is meant to provoke but I think it's it's worth reminding ourselves as often what we do in rage is we pull away, we run away from that person. We don't want to be in that presence. When actually, if we are able to identify, and even more powerfully so, if that person is able to identify the fact that often we feel rage because we feel threatened. Underneath it all, we're scared. That's why we're angry. 
underneath it all, something is not sitting right. Something is hurting or harming or threatening our values or ourselves. And that is where this rage is coming from. So, yeah, we demonise it, but often then we're running away from the people that are actually desperate. I'm conscious, obviously, that for some people, when they are living with a partner who is angry, and that can either be in this situation where you've got a husband who is you know, shouty by the sounds of things, or it could be somebody who's also very controlling Mm. and withdrawing. Where do you draw the line between what is anger and healthy within a relationship and what's abuse? I think sometimes this is where it's really helpful to have those conversations with friends and other family members outside of it because when people are inside that relationship, it can all just become a little bit blurry, especially when there is that love And there may well be those wonderful, good moments between it. So it can just feel quite complicated and a bit blurry and murky. And it is not okay. So I think it's identifying with yourself, what would I deem okay for someone that I care about? Someone outside of this relationship. It might be a really close friend. I would not want her husband treating her in that way. Mm. You know, often that can be a really good litmus test for the times when, you know, it's like the frog in the pan of boiling water when the when the temperature's been slowly mm. building that actually you don't jump out because mm. it's been so slow to get there that you haven't even realised quite how bad it has got. So asking yourself, what would I say to a friend who was being talked to yeah, like this? In this way. What might I want them to do differently that actually the bar is in a different place for myself because it is so complex and complicated. So speaking to other people and and allowing yourself to hear their shock sometimes Mm. you know when you see someone else's shock at something that has just become normal to you Mm. that can really start giving that sense that actually this isn't this isn't okay another thing that we wanted to talk about today is anxiety and intrusive thoughts in particular and I know that this is of interest to you you've mentioned on your website that intrusive thoughts are far more common than we might think So is this something that you've struggled with personally? Yeah. So intrusive thoughts first came on, besides kind of working with anxiety for years before this, when I had a a baby, um, I was absolutely exhausted. He screamed most of the day and night. And I I started having these really disturbing thoughts of dropping him down the stairs. But even more so, throwing him down the stairs. Yes. And I didn't talk to anyone about this because I was utterly viscerally horrified you know what does this mean about me Mm. what does this mean about my ability to be a mother what does this mean about my love and also presumably you must have been really scared yeah it's kind of like oh my god am I going mad yeah yeah absolutely and I started applying in my very tired state which makes it a lot harder to do this my kind of theoretical psychotherapeutic knowledge and I know that intrusive thoughts are just thoughts that pop into our mind right we have them all the time you know I might have just had one about knocking my coffee cup onto the floor you know that's an intrusive thought it just popped into my head I didn't ask for it it's just there and I think often when they grab our attention is because they are really conflicting with how we understand ourselves to be or what our values are Let's hear from a listener who is struggling with intrusive thoughts who would like to remain anonymous. So here goes. 
Hi, Anna. I have a five and a half month old baby and since he was born, I've struggled with intrusive thoughts. For example, when I walk with the pram, the thought of a car mounting the pavement and hitting us comes to mind. I also have more extreme thoughts, like when I change the baby from a bassinet pram to sitting up, I worried that now he's more ex- more exposed, someone could throw acid in his face. I know this sounds totally crazy and I don't know why this thought came to my mind. I also now worry about my baby dying more than I should. I worry he'll stop breathing in his cot at night or in his car seat when I'm driving. My parents recently looked after him overnight and as he had a cold, I couldn't stop worrying about him being very unwell when he stayed over and I wasn't there. I also now think about myself dying and my baby growing up without a mum. I don't know why I think like this, but I would love any advice you have for me, please. Thank you. It feels as though the first thing to say is is to give some reassurance here. I mean, she's not alone, that's for sure. And I think when we become parents, we just suddenly alerted even more so or just completely afresh the the vulnerability of living and loving. Mm. Loving is risky. And I have found myself in the past wishing that I didn't love my kids because then I wouldn't, I'd protect myself from... The risk of the pain bad of things happening. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost like sometimes a protective desire to want to protect yourself from loving and engaging in life. And I think, yeah, bless her. And when you're tired and you, you the hormones are going on, which they will be still for her at that point, we're, we're less armed. We It's harder to coach ourselves through those thoughts and think the chances are very low of someone throwing acid in my baby's face. But the challenge is is that none of these things are impossible. We're not worrying about alien invasions and crazy things that are literally never going to happen. And I think it gets you in touch with that part of you that just wants a grown-up to come, put their hands on your shoulders and promise you and look you in the eye and promise you that everything's going to be okay. So do you think it's about putting some of these things into perspective, challenging the thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Anxiety definitely overinflates any kind of statistic, you know, it might be 0.005 recurring chance and it feels like a certainty. Mm. And it's recognising that we're vulnerable and that's hard. So how can we ground ourselves within that to live with risk? Is experiencing intrusive thoughts postpartum a, a common thing? Very much so. But why? Is it hormonal or is it, as you've said, look, suddenly you're you're overwhelmed by the fact that you've got this other thing to take care of? Yeah, all of the above. It's all of the above and the sleep, you know, the lack of sleep. Mm. And I I notice an uplift in my horrible intrusive thoughts when I'm hormonal and when I'm tired. And we just do. And normally trauma can, can really play a part in that. So I lost my sister when I was a child. She died of cancer when she was nearly seven. So therefore, I am so much more likely to have intrusive thoughts around childhood death and dying and cancer, right? right. So if my kids have got growing pains and then let my legs hurt, I'm like, you've got leukaemia. Right. And I really have to find ways to manage that because the likelihood is low. But as we know, these things are impossible. And I think sometimes it's thinking, how can I mother myself in that kind of nurturing way you know we want reassurance but we can never give ourselves that full promise can we and Mm. that's what we want we want someone to promise we want certainty Mm. and we can't have it in life so how can we say to ourselves that you're obviously you're feeling scared this is a big shift loving your baby feels like a massive thing to do it feels risky being out in the world so if we are experiencing intrusive Mm. thoughts what can we do about it? 
So I think the first thing is not to go down that road of turning that thought into theatre. And we can grow in practice at being stronger at this. So I often think of imagining myself on a Friday night or imagine yourself on a Friday night. You're sat on the sofa. We're watching uh, Traitors at the moment. So I've got Traitors on, Chips, my fave. And then the doorbell goes and I get up and I'm like, oh, for goodness sakes, we've just sat down. And it's a man selling mops. I don't need a mop. But he's very convincing, so I invite him in. And he's then sat on my sofa, eating my chips, traitors on pause, chatting away about a mop I don't even want, thinking, how the heck has my whole Friday evening become totally encroached by this mop man? You know, but there is another choice, is that he comes, rings the doorbell, I go, thank you, don't need a mop, good luck, off you go. And, and off he goes. And I cannot control, we cannot control what thoughts pop into our mind. We can recognise that they're there. But we can choose. In time, we can get stronger at at saying, no, thank you. Mm. I'm not going to go down that road. Because as soon as we do, we feel our heart rate increase. We feel our body tense up. Our body literally feels like it's happening. You know, we feel like as we're going through that whole scenario of someone throwing something in our child's face, our bodies think it's happening. You know, it's evolutionary we we have to respond it's thinking i can't control this horrible thought that's popped in again but i am not going to engage so you're saying recognize the thought acknowledge it and go no thank you no thank i'm not you. going down that road yeah and think you. about something else put something else in that space mm. because they do like to come back mm. like when you eat omega-3 fish oil tablets and they just kind of keep repeating on you they do like to come back And I think it's recognising also that going off down that road in our head, it doesn't protect us. No matter how much in the time of my sister's between her cancer diagnosis and her death, no matter how many times we played out that loss, it didn't make it any easier. Mm. And I think often it's this kind of con that if we live through it in our minds, if we live through it over and over again, we're somehow protecting ourselves so that when it happens, we go, "Uh uh-huh. Mm. I've lived through this, therefore Mm. it's not going to hurt me as much. When actually all we're doing is putting ourselves through heartbreak twice, physically, and we're taking ourselves away from the the very real, present goodness that is there. Anna, thank you so much for coming into the studio today to give us your expertise again and for being so honest and frank about everything. And thank you at home for listening. I'll be back next week with a new episode of It Can't Just Be Me. In the meantime, if you find yourself with a dilemma and really need some advice, then please send me a voice note at itcantjustbeme.co.uk or you can email your dilemma to itcantjustbeme at podimo.com. And if you want more from It Can't Just Be Me, remember you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and Facebook. Just search for it can't just be me because whatever you're dealing with it really isn't just you from podimo and mags this has been it can't just be me hosted by me anna richardson the producers are laura williams and christy calloway gale the editor is kit milson and the executive producers for podimo are jake chudno and matt white the executive producer for mags is james norman fife Don't forget to follow the show or for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts.